0: It's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes we can uh, get to the end of the reading and you think, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Wow, that was hard. Uh, There are other times when you are this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. What a joyous truth that is. What what we just heard is the picture of the end, and it should make our hearts sing, shouldn't it? We're starting a series today uh, called On Mission, uh, with God in the Old Testament and it's going to be a great exploration of the fact, essentially I want, to, I want to try and convince you that Jesus and Paul didn't invent mission. I want to show you that God has actually been on mission, on mission right the way through the whole of the world that, and the, the universe that he's created. God's been on mission the whole time. So that's my plan. Uh, It should be a great uh, occupation for our term, and uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to turn our hearts to you. Lord, would you help us lay distractions aside? Would your spirit be at work now taking this word and applying it to our hearts? We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to start by uh, thinking for a, a moment about what's needed for flourishing, What's needed for flourishing? And when it comes to flourishing, I I guess I I particularly want us to think about pot plants um, because, uh, well, Kara and I like to think that we don't have green thumbs, do we, Caro? We've got black thumbs. I think that's basically the situation when it comes to to pot plants. uh, They're they're in danger in our place, basically. But the advantage of getting a pot plant is uh, that they come with a, a little thing like this quite often and it'll actually tell you all that's needed for the flourishing of the pot plant. Uh, so in this case, uh, it's telling us I, I, love, I'm, I, can't, I couldn't work out whether this was, was, it was a joke or not, which shows how I'm not really very uh, horticultural, but it's called green plant. right? I, I don't understand, is that a plant? Anyway, is it a generic name for a plant? How to care for your green plant, right? Select a location, moderately bright light, Moderately moist soil is preferred. Tropical green plants prefer temperatures that are in the the warm. Um, Fertilise periodically. Key tips for success. Provide good light and avoid waterlogged soil. How good is that? Now I think to myself, I don't really know whether it's in good soil or whether it's waterlogged or whatever, but apparently... People like me are in, are in good hands because there are devices, who knew this, that you can stick in the ground uh, that will tell you about uh, whether it's light or dark in that spot, um, whether it's moist or dry, and then what the pH of the soil is. Anyone know? I mean, I've just, I'm I'm blown away. If I knew I could device it, I would have been into it a long time ago. <laughs> uh, this is another little thing that I saw. It's a little light meter, and it'll actually show you there whether you're in full sun, partial sun, partial shade, or full shade. I just thought this was hilarious, except isn't it going to change over the day? So anyway, I don't know. And if I stand over it, when am i am putting it in? Is it in full shade? Anyway, it, was all, it all got a little bit hard for me, uh, really, at that point. But the, the, the tips are here, plants, you can work out what they need for flourishing. What about humans? What about human flourishing? Do we have a little tag? a little tag on us that we can read, make sure that they don't get wet feet or something like that. Wet feet are actually probably good for human flourishing, I think, at the beach, at least. Uh, So I thought, well, where do we go to find out? Uh, Let's go to TV, because obviously that will tell us uh, what we need for human flourishing, is that right? Yes, I know you'll enjoy this journey. Uh, Here's what our world is telling us, at least on the TV, uh, what's needed for human flourishing. Uh, You need a good body? Uh, You need to be famous, very important, Uh, You need to find the one, um, even if it involves marrying them without having met them before. Uh, You need great work. Uh, You need a great house. Uh, You need great holidays. Uh, You need great food and perhaps a little sprinkle of adventure every now and again. Now, there's enough greats there to make anyone worn out straight away, isn't it? I mean, if we all had all those things being great all the time, there'd be no time to be ordinary, I don't think. But our world world constantly hypes up, turns up to 11, our expectations on gardens, our expectations on your bathroom tiles, on where you could possibly go. to. It it just, it buries us in the extremes. And of course, all of us have been singing in the shower for the last 17 years. And when we step out on the stage, we're going to be recognized as national heroes who've got a -a once-in-a-lifetime voice. Is that Right. It's so frustrating at the end of the day, I think. And so instead of looking at the changing fortunes of what's on TV, let's see what does the God who is there have to say about human flourishing. What does a God who is there have to say about human flourishing? So the reason I listen to the horticulturalist when they stick a little bit of plastic in the pot plant is because they should know. So when it comes to human beings, rather than looking at other human beings telling me to be dissatisfied, why don't I look to the God who made me to find out what he has to tell me about human flourishing? Makes sense, doesn't it? So when we look at the world around us, we look at a world that is messed up. But we have in Genesis, if you open it up with me, we have in Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2, we have a picture of the world before it was messed up. We we have a picture of the world uh, where we're pre what we call the fall, before sin comes in and ruins everything. And so the the joy of looking at Genesis 1 and 2 is we can actually see the manufacturer's instructions or essentially what the pot plant looks like when you bring it home from the nursery. Just fresh out of the box. Here's the thing though, as we do that today, the beautiful picture that's there in Genesis is taken away from us and we're left with the pieces, all jumbled and scrappy on the ground. So so we need to go back to God and find out what he has to say. Over the course of this this series, I'm going to be introducing you to uh, a timeline that I've created to tell the story of the Bible. So we're going to have a look at uh, the Old Testament predominantly, but this extends through into the New Testament. And the idea of these pictures is to give us a visual representation of where we are on the journey through the Bible. So we're going to start today, and we're going to go to fresh out of the nursery. We're up here at that end of the timeline. We're before the reading we had in Revelation, where Jesus comes back and we have a new creation. We're going to start this morning way back here at creation in Genesis 1 and 2. So so let's go there and think about what do we learn about creation in Genesis 1 and 2 before we get to human beings, just very quickly, because here we are in Genesis 1 and 2. What, What do we learn about creation? Well, God makes creation without compulsion, without conflict, and without confusion. In other words, God isn't obligated to make the world. There also aren't two tussling forces. There isn't a, an evil spirit and a good spirit fighting and then the world kind of falls out as a problem or as an outcome or, or as a bet. Or, it's none of those things. God in his own good time chose to freely, rightly, bring from nothing creation into being. That is a unique beauty of the Christian account of the world, well, the Christian and Jewish account of the world. So without compulsion, without conflict, and without confusion. Who was it for? It was for people who would bear his image. It was for people who would bear his image. So God made it. It was beautiful, and he put animals and birds in it, and they're doing their thing. But the pinnacle point of creation is human beings who are there to bear God's image. So it was four image bearers who were going to bear his image with rule and relationship. So they're going to model what it means for God to create people like him by ruling and by relating. And God created all that not with magic, but just his word. It's one of the things I love when looking in the Gospels is how powerful Jesus' words are. And it's because God created all things through his son, Jesus, the word. It's the most famous words, isn't it, in the whole of the Bible? Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be, and it took a little while and he was fumbling with the light switch and eventually... That's not what it says, is it? God said, let there be light, and there was... And all the way through this creation account, for 168 hours, no not for 168, over this creation account, we have things happening by virtue of God's word. So when we go to understanding the creation, we should go to the one who spoke it into being. Fantastic. A little on creation. So, so what does this look like? Let's, let's come in a little bit closer and think about human beings in their relation with God. Well, the first thing that we want to do is we want to note something about people's relationship with God. I really love it. If you have a look, if you've got your Bibles open, it won't be too far to find uh, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go and have a look at that next week. But I just want you to see part of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The first thing that we see in the Genesis account is God relates to human beings and it's a, a beautiful natural intimacy. God's walking in the garden to find these, creative, these creations that he's made, these human beings. God wants to relate with them. We're going to see next week how that's difficult because of what happened in between. But I assume that there were many days before Genesis chapter 3 where God did exactly this where he would wander in the garden with Adam and Eve, relating perfectly with them in the intimacy of profound fellowship. That's a beautiful picture. And so we start with an image of a God who wants to relate and who is actually able to be related to. See, God could appear as a, as a 10,000 foot block of concrete, couldn't he? He could appear, as he does later, as a burning bush. Here it says he's walking in the garden. He was accessible, he was relatable, and he was present. How beautiful. The second thing we see, we see that the the world that God made has relationship with God. It also has relationships with men and women. So we see uh, in the second account of the creation in chapter 2, in verse 18, The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. And so what does God do? Uh, He has all the animals that he's created parade before Adam. And he's supposed to name them. I reckon I would have run out of names pretty quickly. Brian, Fred, Wilma, Rachel. He names them. And interestingly enough, what God has been doing in the previous six days is naming things. Do you remember? He says, I'll name this day and this night. I will name that land. I'll name these sea. Part of God's rule has been to name. And so here it is. Adam is ruling and his job is to name things. But having had all the things in the whole world pass before him, I assume it was longer than a day. um, uh, Adam is left with precisely no one who's a suitable helper for him. And so what does God do? Well, he does something amazing. He, he actually says uh, in verse 21, but for Adam no suitable helper was found, verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, I imagine he was tired from naming everything. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the, from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Relationship, beautiful, open relationship, complementary relationship is at the heart of the way God made human beings. He made us to relate. And he made us to relate male and female. How beautiful. It is no mistake here that the cause of marriage is picked up in this account of creation. It's that original an idea. It goes all the way back to there. And that is why we have uh, men and women relating in Uh, in our modern age, although in a fractured way, why we still want marriage is because it goes back to this beautiful place that we started uh, in the garden. So first thing we see, perfect relationship with God. Imagine this, ladies and gentlemen, perfect relationship with men and women. Incredible. What else did they have in this world? Well, have a look with me uh, at, well, actually, have a look at verse five first of chapter two. Uh, Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Can you see that? The creation was waiting for work. The creation was waiting for work. We we see it back in uh, chapter 1, verse 28, what the purpose of human beings is. Have a look at uh, chapter 1, verse 28. After God had made uh, Adam and Eve in his own image, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, God had work for Adam and Eve to do. And you might think your idea of what's perfect is to never have to work again, yeah? I actually think that's a lie. It's stitched into our humanity to do useful work. It's a pre-fall activity. Before the world was messed up for sin, God said, I have work for you to do. That's a revelation, isn't it? But this work would be deeply fulfilling. It would be the best of who they are for God's glory. That's the work that he had in mind. I want you to note here, their job was to fill the earth and subdue it. That that wasn't a problem or a mistake, it was actually their intended purpose. It's worth noting, work is part of God's plan for human beings. And then we look, not only is there a good relationship between God and man, between mankind together, between human beings and the work that they need to do, but also between human beings and the creation. Uh, Maybe if you heard uh, to subdue the earth and rule over it, you might have had in mind a big club. Let's go and beat some things until we've subdued the earth. And maybe that's the reason we've done all the things we've done to the earth around us. We heard from Genesis, God wanted us to go and subdue the earth. So let's go and beat something and squash it and tame it or whatever. I think that this verse from chapter 2 shows us that it's not about overpowering or destroying or abusing the creation. Have a look with me at chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It's not simply rape and pillage. That's not it at all. To work it and take care of it. I actually love, I've got the picture of the, uh, the police department in the US there, to protect and to serve, right? Okay. This idea of an engagement with creation, which is not abusive, but is caring and making use of it. Does that make sense? So we have right relationships with God, right relationships with humanity, right relationships with productive work, and right relationships with the created order. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I want to live there. Remember I said that our world has got a box of puzzle pieces, doesn't have the whole picture? What's our world done with the puzzle pieces of creation that are fractured and scattered all around us? What's our world done with that? Well, I think that there's consistently been these things done. Firstly, we take what is a good gift of God and we make it transactional. Let me explain what I mean. I need to get something out of it. How do I take it and make it do things for me? What can I get from it? It's a transaction. Okay, I'll explain it in a second. Secondly, it's distanced from the original purpose. So our world finds a piece of the puzzle and goes, well, I don't want to have anything to do with God and his purposes, so I'm going to do this with it. Can, can you see it's distance from God? Thirdly, it's usually binary. Uh, I'll explain this. It, it looks a little bit like this. A- imagine a pendulum. Okay, I'm not sure if you can see that up there. Here's my uh, Here's my pendulum. Generally, what happens is our world will take one of these issues and it'll give you two options that are totally different. They're opposite poles to each other. So on on the one side, you'll have one option. And then on the other, it'll be the complete opposite. And our world will tell us one or the other. It'll say, be all in on that. Or if you're not in that, be all in on that. Let, let Let me give you an example. Let's think about God. We start off with a perfect relationship with God. Here's what our world has done. It said, don't talk about God, let's talk about spiritual things. Let's talk about spiritual things. And so I think the best example of that is the Ikea idol, right? Um, The Ikea Buddha is just the most ridiculous thing in the world for me, right? There's no religious significance. It's become an ornament in our house. And so we kind of think we're paying some attention to the spiritual by having a piece of furniture. It's appalling, What that means is one extreme to the other. Here's, Here's the one extreme. On one side, we have people who are totally unspiritual. They say there is no spiritual stuff in the whole world. It is only atoms and laws of physics. That's one end. On the other end, we've got people who are into being mediums and magicians who are totally sold out on the fact that it's a spiritual world, but they're subsumed to other spiritual powers other than God. Do you find them talking about God? Almost never. Spirits, uh, all sorts of other bits and bits, but, but not about God. And so on the one end, you can see how these are two extremes, right? On the one end, no spiritual life. On the other end, spiritual life to the max, but no God. Here's what's happened. We've become divorced from the personal aspect of the God who is there. We've become divorced from the personal aspect of the God who is there. All right, what about relationships? Well, our world, is, relationships are tricky, right? So let's not talk about relationships. Let's talk about sex. Far better. If we can talk about sex, then we can talk about either being promiscuous, do whatever you want to whoever you want. And remember, it's transactional. So I'm taking something from you. I want something from you. That's thats the heart of porn stuff, isn't it? it I, I, it's transactional. I'm, I'm getting something for myself, deeply alone. Or we've got the Puritan end. We'll have nothing to do with sex. Sex is terrible. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. It's, so let's have nothing. Totally abstain. Now, I can't imagine there are too many people on that extreme, but, but it seems like it's either one or the other. Almost nobody wants to do the hard work in the middle. And so... We've become divorced from relating. We've reduced relationship to sex and then we've kicked relating out of it. What about another bad choice when it comes to work? When it comes to work, we don't want to talk about work. We want to talk about success and stuff. And so there's a prancing horse. Anyone, you're all familiar with a prancing horse, hopefully. So the idea is, if I can accumulate enough stuff, I'll be successful. I'll have done enough. And so... On the one extreme, we're a slave to our work. We can't get away from it. Or we're sticking it to the man. Uh, Sticking it to the man, sorry. When I say that, what I mean is, um, I'm not going to work hard. I'm going to do as little as I can in order to still get paid. Do do you know that? This is kind of... I, I think this used to be Australia. But we grew out of it. And we healthily, because there are no middle ground, is there? We've healthily moved to workaholism. I think that's what Australia's done. So it used to be all about sticking it to the man, do the least amount of work. You know, the, the quintessential lean on the shovel, yes? Well, they're paying me. I'll just lean on the shovel, take a little bit longer. I'm getting paid by the hour. What a good idea. But today, we don't do that. We work part-time, we work two jobs, we, work- we retire later. We've become people who become slaves to work. And I think we've divorced morality from our work. In other words, there's no other component other than getting paid in our work world. What about our fourth one? What about creation? That's still in perfect harmony with men and women, isn't it? What have we done? We've said, creation, you're our supermarket. Uh, And the worst thing I could find to think of here was a um, a TV dinner, right? Frozen used to be food, plastic food, essentially, right? And what's happened is that we've gone one of two extremes when it comes to the creation. We either want to completely destroy it, and so, my, my, my perfect model for that is those um, factory ships with nets that go out for 30 kilometres and suck everything up. Destroy the planet. It's a supermarket. Get it and turn it into dollars. Transactional. Can you see that? Or we want human beings to disappear. The, 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 the hardcore of environmentalists would say humans are a virus. We need to get rid of them. We're ruining the earth. So the answer is let's get rid of all humans. Can you see how binary these things are? Trash the planet or remove the humans from the planet. What what have we done? I think we've become divorced from the origins. We don't know where our food comes from. We don't know that we need to be dependent on it. We have no connection with the natural world anymore. Pave the planet. Consequently, what does it mean if we've made those decisions? And and you might disagree with me, but I think that's roughly right. What does it mean if we've made those decisions? Well, I think the uh, stones said it, didn't they? I can't get no satisfaction. If I'm making those decisions, if I'm at one end of those pendulum swings, those four things, I'm at one extreme or the other, generally on those pendulum swings, guess what? You will not be satisfied because you aren't flourishing according to the maker's instruction. You're out of line. You're out of line. So God intended something better. Let's have a look at that. When it comes to God, what does he want from us? He wants us to know him and be known by him. When it comes to relationships, he wants trust and treasuring. Not use and abuse. Trust and treasuring. When it comes to work... He wants honor and hard work. Honorable work done hard. That's what he wants. When it comes to creation, he wants harmony and harvest. See, this is the thing we can't, we can never hold the middle point, can we? Right? No, no, get rid of the humans. No, 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 rape the planet. No, no, harmony and harvest. God put people in the, in the, in the, in the garden to feed off it to care for it and maintain it. Harmony and harvest is what we're supposed to have. All these middle points are much harder than the extremes. So what can we do? I want to encourage you practically, God wants to be known and wants you to know him. Talk to him daily. When it comes to trust and treasuring, start loving your neighbour as yourself. See, when it's transactional, I only do it for my benefit. What does Jesus say the second and greatest commandment is? Love your neighbour as yourself. I will never abuse you if I'm intending for what I do to you to be done to me. Yes? Love your neighbour as yourself. What about our work? It says in uh, Colossians 4 that we should work as if working for the Lord. I think that just does everything. That, that, that transforms work entirely. Whatever you do, work at it as, work at it as working for the Lord. Do you have an incredibly complex job that requires your brain? Work it as if for doing for the Lord. Do I have a manual job where my brain is applied in a different way, but my hands get calloused? Work at it as if working for the Lord. Do I teach kids and find it hard to ever remember the, the Lord in the middle of my day? Work hard as if working for the Lord. You will not make morally dubious choices if you're working for the Lord, will you? You might skimp on the boss, but you won't if you know you're working for the Lord. Work as it. Contribute for the Lord. So that means to you, retired people, you can continue to work for the Lord. Find avenues to use your energy for the good of the Lord and the blessing of others. What about with harmony and harvest? I I love this. Um, I'm, I'm working hard and trying to think about this all the time. Never enough. So uh, caro went yesterday to our local markets, yellow carrots. I love, they're not wrong. Apparently they're good. And they were sourced locally. So find out what grows in the ground around here. Try eating some of it. It's really good. And if you have to eat stuff that comes in a can, because obviously God didn't intend it to come in a can, but it's very helpful, um, then try and find something that is sustainable in the way that, now, and you go, oh, but I couldn't do that tomorrow. I'd say start changing one thing a week. One thing a week. Start making an impact on the world around you by doing stuff that is harmony and harvest, one thing at a time. Do you know Revelation promises something even better? In Revelation, we are told that we will see God face to face. That's the eye. We're told that relationships in Revelation will be so beautiful that we will be washed, we'll be pure, and there will be no more sin. I can't wait for it. We're told in Revelation that there will be productive work for us to do. It actually says in there that there's harvest, that the tree on the side of the river yields its fruit for harvest 12 times a year. Do you know what I'd never thought about that? It doesn't drop off in shopping trolleys. For harvest, can you see that? We'll need to harvest. I assume there'll be a lot of singing, so don't worry if that's your thing. There'll be lots of singing, but there'll be productive work to do as well. How beautiful. And what about the created order? It'll be made new, and I can't wait to see it. It says in Revelation that there will no longer be any curse. And you look at that and you think, what does that mean? No one will be cursing anymore? No, no, no. It'll mean there'll be no more thorns and thistles destroying the work of productive ground. The new creation will be beautiful beyond all imagining with all of that taken out. So are you hungry? Are you hungry for that place, for that day? Well, what I want to show you is I want us to move from taking to relating and I want to see you what will happen if you'll do that. If you move from transaction to relating, what will happen if we do that? Well, let's, let's take our four areas that we looked at and the way they're currently messed up by, by the world. What, what if we move to what God says? If we we change our view of God and we try and know him and be known by him, here's the outcome. You can't buy it anywhere. Peace. Peace. If we take relationships and we move towards trust and treasuring, you'll find something you can't buy anywhere. Love. If you follow the maker's instructions and uh, you start looking for work that is about honour and hard work, you'll find something the world can't give you. Satisfaction. If you listen to the maker's instruction, and you start engaging with the world around you with harmony and harvest on your mind, we'll find a connection with the natural rhythm of things around us. So what I want to say is, how are you doing? Let's stick a little metre in your heart. And stick a little meter in your heart and say, how are we doing with this? Think about it in four dimensions here. Do I have peace with God? Do I have love defining my relationship with others? Do I have satisfaction in my work? Do I have connection with the world around me? Church, I want to encourage you, there's a fullness of life there. There's a new life there if you live that way and that's flourishing that's what flourishing is for human beings and so I want to encourage you when we say we long to see new life in every home we love to see it for people's salvation we like to see it for the good of their community of their of the community and we love to see it for the glory of God and what I'd say to you is when new life comes to a home you will find human flourishing human flourishing and that will be for God's glory I love this quote. I think Luke actually introduced it a while ago. It's from C.S. Lewis. It's absolutely beautiful. I want to finish with this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I want to set before you today human flourishing. I want to tell you it's worth it. And stacks of people out there don't know it. God has this beautiful plan at the start, and he's told us that's where we're going at the end. In between, you and I need to invite one another, not only to find it personally, to help others to find it too let's pray heavenly father you're a good god and we thank you that we've been assured of that today father whatever the world looks like today we know how you made it at the start and where you're taking it on the final day father as we stumble along in between would you refresh us in our connection with you would you humble us and renew us in our love for one another Father, would you help us to do productive things for your glory, for the love of others that bring us deep and abiding satisfaction. Father, would you help us to renew our connection with the created order around us, knowing, Father, that these things don't just come in a can, but they're a real gift from you each and every day. Father, refresh our heart for our destination that we might have a passion to take others with us. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.